invite you to be seated and take out your bulletin, turning to your Old Testament lesson. Behold, O Lord, a lamb of your own flock, a sheep of your own fold, and a sinner of your own redeeming. Amen. As Pastor Brewick mentioned before the service, we spent four weeks listening to the poetry of the prophet Isaiah, preparing us to celebrate Christmas. We heard how how Israel was called to walk in the way of the Lord, in the light of the Lord. How Isaiah bid them to, to put on their calendars the day of the Lord, when God would act, when God would come in judgment and deliverance. That day when streams would flow in the desert and the lame would leap for joy and the blind would see. And we heard in the last, the sign that would happen, the thing that would happen that would show that day has come. A virgin would have a baby. And so we celebrated Christmas, the day in which we celebrate that a virgin had a baby. A virgin named Mary gave birth to Jesus. And so we celebrated our Christmas season. And as we bring it to a close now, it only makes sense to to ask Isaiah the question, what is different now that that has happened? What is different being on the other side of this beautiful sign? Is there anything that is unique now about the world, about us? about God, that we need to know here and now because Christ is born. Now, to answer this question, the church has historically turned to Isaiah chapter 60, which is the reading for Epiphany. And this is a marvelous chapter. It is, it is beautiful. And then if you'd like, I would be happy to preach on the whole thing. Just let me know. But the first few verses give us more than enough to talk about. And I want to focus on it with you today. And I want to sum it up as simply as I can, then a little more complicated. And then we're going to go through the verses. Simply put, what is different now is that God shines through his people now. God shines through his people now. Now, this gets a little more complicated because it is the glory of the Lord that is shining on Israel. And because it shines on Israel, shines through Israel, drawing the nations and renewing creation. Those are the three steps I want to take as we go through this text, that the glory of the Lord shines on Israel and through Israel, drawing the nations and redeeming creation. So let's start with the first verse. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, whenever you read the word you in the Bible, you need to ask, who is this talking about? And fortunately, the Hebrew helps us out here because in Hebrew, when you, when you command someone, you can actually make that word correspond to whether the person is male or female. Like if I say get up in English, it's the same for everyone. But in Hebrew, there would be get up dude and get up lady. You'd use a different form. Here, Isaiah's speaking in the singular feminine. That is, if he's a southerner, he'd say rise, ma'am, shine, ma'am, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And this helps us answer, who is he talking to? He's talking to Jerusalem, the people of God, considered collectively as the bride of Yahweh, the people of God as a whole. In fact, when the ancient scholars translated this into Greek, in which you can't gender your your, uh, commands, they just said, shine, shine, Jerusalem. Because God here is talking to his people, telling them, rise and shine, because God's own glory is shining upon her. So God's shining upon her, therefore she shines. Well, to get how that works, we've we got to understand Israel's calling and their crisis. Because their calling, Israel's calling, was always to reflect what God had done for her 
to the nations. Go all the way back to to Abraham. He was blessed, not simply for his own sake, but so that all the nations could be blessed through him. God brought Israel out of Egypt, claiming them as his own, so that they could be a holy nation, distinct from the nations, reflecting God's justice and love and truth to those nations. Now, there's a deep principle behind this calling that we're going to come back to later, but this is the principle. God works for his people that he might work through his people. God works for his people that he might work through his people. And this is built into the fabric of creation all the way back with Adam and Eve. He blesses them, creating them in his image that they might, well, image God. They might reflect his power and justice and love by, well, making families, naming creatures, gardening, tilling the earth, reflecting God's good, ordering, life-giving love to the creation itself. Because that's what humans were made to do, to be partners with God, to serve under him and reflect his goodness to the world. That was Israel's calling. But it was also Israel's crisis. And it is the crisis he speaks of in verse 2. For behold, darkness. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the, the actual Hebrew. The darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people's. Now, this darkness was not a mystery. It is the darkness. And Israel would instantly know what it meant. It is that spirit of rebellion and pride and self-will that began with Adam and Eve, who refused to rule under God and instead chose to rule on their own terms. And that darkness is what sets us against one another. It set Adam and Eve against each other. It sets us against one another and Israel against the others. Instead of making them God's people for the nations, they become God's people against the nations. I mean, and this principle, the metaphor is pretty clear, right? Darkness turns everything into a danger, right? If the room is entirely dark, Legos are no longer toys. They are knives waiting to pierce you through the feet. In darkness, everyone becomes a threat. Even like your silent toddler creeping into your bedroom at night becomes kind of scary, it's just there in the dark, right next to you to wake you up. The darkness has a way of turning us in on ourselves and isolating us from other people. And this is what the darkness had done to Israel and to the nations. The darkness we know is, exists in a personal form as the devil. But that darkness exists out there in the world, setting nations against one another and setting them ultimately against God himself. And Israel knew that that darkness didn't just live out there. It lived in here, in them. Because most of Isaiah's readers would have been reading him from the exile. When Israel had been cast out into the darkness because she had allied herself with the darkness. She had, for various reasons, had determined to live according to the darkness rather than walking in the light of the Lord. Some of them had had allied themselves with the darkness by, by worshiping idols, hedging their bets in case Yahweh didn't come through for them. Some had taken advantage of the darkness, abusing the poor and the vulnerable because they knew they could get away with it, or they thought they could get away with it. Some had simply despaired of the darkness, giving up hope that Yahweh would ever keep his promises. But Isaiah says that even in the midst of this darkness, precisely as this darkness covers the earth, including Israel, a day will come when God's glory will arise in Israel and will shine through Israel into the darkness. That's the second half of verse 2. But darkness shall cover the earth, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. 
See, Isaiah's proclamation to rise and shine is not a, a command to Israel to try harder. Someday you'll finally get this right. It's the good news that someday Yahweh himself will come and his glory will shine in her. And because his glory shines in her, she will be able to participate. She will fulfill her calling. And she'll know this. She will shine with the radiance of Yahweh because Gentiles will start showing up. Note the end of verse 2. It's not his glory will simply shine. His glory will be seen. And this is what gives us the meaning of the Magi who show up in Jesus' birth. What has changed now? There's a faithful Israelite. There's a faithful son of Abraham. There's a faithful heir of David. There's, there's a dude who actually is what, Abriel, what Israel was called to be. And because he is what Israel was called to be, Gentiles are seeing and showing up. And not just any Gentiles, some Magi. Look at verse 3. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's what happens when everything is dark and someone has a light. People move towards it. But when everything is dark, these Gentiles who see God's light shining in Israel, we we need to kind of understand they weren't just some magic, like what exactly they were. We we often think of them as kings, right? We think three kings of Orient are. Well, that's an overly rigid use of this verse. And I don't think they were actually kings because magi in the ancient world weren't kings. The word magi means magician, right? That's where we get the word magician or mage from. They were, were divine soothsayers. They were supposed to tell the future. In the ancient world, they were never kings. They were always uh, advisors of kings, right? So don't think kings. Think Jafar from Aladdin. This is three or more Jafars who show up and bring Jesus some gifts. They were sorcerers, people who were supposed to tell the future by reading the stars. In other words, they weren't just the nations. They were the darkest of the darkness. They were the people who had allied themselves with the powers of evil. And yet these people, who represent kings as advisors of kings, who represent nations as those who had allied themselves with the darkness, these guys see the light of Israel and they show up. They are guided by God's star to come and worship Jesus as the king. They come to the brightness of, note, not just God's rising, not your lady rising, to Israel. They see in Israel what Israel itself didn't even see. That's the deep irony of the story in our gospel, that these magi, these sorcerers, they go to find the king, but the chief priests and scribes in Jerusalem, the people who are supposed to be in the light, who are, who are surrounded by the word, they don't. They stay put in Jerusalem, fearing Herod. And this is an irony we will see run throughout Jesus' whole ministry, that those who think that they are in the light, who see themselves as being in the light, will not see Jesus, while those who are the darkest of the darkness, the Gentiles, the nations, they will. The Roman centurion, the Canaanite mother, they will see Jesus and come to him because they recognize faithful Israel in Jesus, while the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees will reject him. And that's why Isaiah's next verse, 4, bids them to see Lift up your eyes all around and see. See what? They all gather together. They come to you, your sons and your daughters. This is not talking about the nations anymore. This is talking about Israelites. Your sons and daughters of Israel shall come to you. They shall be carried on the hip. So in other words, Isaiah is speaking to those who will see Jesus and won't recognize the glory of Yahweh in him. And so Isaiah points them to Jesus' works. 
Look at the men and women of Israel who are being gathered and taught and healed by Jesus. Look at the ministry of this Messiah who has come and shined God's glory among you. Look at the forgiveness and renewal he's bringing. And when you do that, when you see in Jesus' ministry and see he's the glory of Yahweh, well, then you will begin to shine, Isaiah says. That's verse 5. Then you shall see and be radiant. You shall see and you shall shine. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. Don't miss that. That, That's this essential logic here, that when you see Jesus by faith as the glory of Yahweh, you begin to shine because you are part of Israel. You become part of the city of God. You become part of those people who reflect God's love. When you see Israel fulfilled in Jesus, you begin to fulfill Israel's calling. Recognizing this light means you will reflect it. And that means more Gentiles will gather. That's what he goes on to say in verse 5. Because the abundance, your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. So instead of the nations plundering and taking from Israel, they will turn and bring stuff to Israel. A multitude of camels, verse 6, shall cover you, young camels from Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So I want to to pause here and just kind of resituate ourselves. God shines on Israel in the birth of Jesus. And so he shines through Israel. And because he has done that, Israel has begun to shine herself. And in this, this is not a promise. And and because she shines too, the creation will begin, begin to be renewed. The pagans will begin to bring their treasures to Israel. Now, this is not like the prosperity gospel's favorite verse, that you'll get rich when you believe in Jesus. No, because all this stuff, if we were to go on in chapter 60, all this stuff that the nations bring is used to beautify the temple in praise of Yahweh. It's used to fulfill Israel's calling to be rightly related to Yahweh and to praise him rightly. So in other words, and and this is my favorite part of this whole passage, even the camels will bring and proclaim the gospel. Look at the grammar of verse 6. A multitude of camels shall cover you. Lots of them, young camels. They, the camels, shall bring gold and frankincense. Okay, that makes sense. They, the camels, shall proclaim good news. The verb is literally, the, the English puts bring good news, but the verb is simply, they will gospel. The camels will shine, proclaiming the gospel. The praises of the Lord. These can't, now remember, camels are unclean creatures, not fit to be in the temple, not fit to be human for human consumption. But Isaiah is focusing us on the camels because he wants us to see how all of creation will be renewed by faithful Israel shining. Now, this is, I don't think he's talking about talking camels, although that would be cool. I think he's talking about camels who are bearing those who praise Yahweh. But he wants you to see the ramifications of Israel being faithful for all the created order. Gold will begin to worship God rightly. Frankincense will worship God rightly. Camels will worship God rightly through those who are gathered to Israel. Because Israel shines now because God shines in her. And she still shines today. She, the people of God, you, the people of God, shine now because Jesus is born. Because he lives And the glory of the Lord still gathers pagan Gentiles to Israel. That's why y'all are here. Nebraskans gathered into Israel and grafted into it through faith in Jesus. It started with the pagan magicians, but it didn't stop there. His ministry and his healings 
gathered and renewed Israel, and even those who didn't want to see him, who preferred the darkness and used the darkness to murder him, they didn't realize what they were doing. Because in crucifying Jesus, in Jesus willingly going into death, one faithful Israelite perfectly and completely reflected God's love. He gave himself to die for his enemies. On the cross, Jesus was fully and completely Israel faithful, gave his life for the life of the world. And because he did that, all the nations are gathering to his cross. When I am lifted up, I will draw all peoples to myself, Jesus says. So by faith in Jesus, by seeing in him and in his cross the glory of the Lord shining, you become part of Israel. Along with those pagan magicians, along with the Roman centurion and the Canaanite mother, you get grafted into the people of God. And like the people of God and heir of Abraham, you shine now. And that's what I want you to take away from. This is what's different about the world. This is what's different about you now that Christmas has happened is that you shine now, church. In Jesus, the glory of God shined on Israel and through Israel. And in Jesus, God's glory shines on you and through you. And here we come back to this deep principle. God acted for you in Jesus that he might act through you in Jesus. He shines on you, gathering you into the people of God, not just for your sake, but for the sake of all those around you, for the sake of your neighbors, your children, your spouse, who will see Jesus reflected in you. He blesses you in Christ, not simply because you need it, but because your enemies need your blessing. And you can bless your enemies through Jesus, who blessed you when you were his enemy. He forgives you not simply because you need it, but because there are others who need your forgiveness. God's love is never just only for you for your own sake. It is always for you and for those he loves through you. Martin Luther once said that that God's love makes us lovable. It's not that we were so awesome and God just couldn't help himself. We were so snuggly. No, God's love came to us who are exactly unlovable and makes us lovable. And that's true, and that's beautiful, but it's not the whole story. Because God's love never rests. It is infinitely generative. It is beautiful and life-giving, and it doesn't stop at making us lovable. It makes us loving. It makes us reflections of that love. The water that Jesus brings doesn't just quench our thirst. It makes us life-giving springs bubbling up of eternal joy. It makes us fit objects of God's love and fit conduits of God's love. So to belong to Jesus, to be part of Israel, is to belong to those whom Jesus loves. To follow Jesus is to go with him out into the darkness. To be his is to be turned towards all in love. And this isn't some rule you have to follow. One more hoop you've got to jump through in order to get this right. This is the reality in which you may and can participate because God shines among you. Because you are God's people, Israel, and God is still shining in you and through you now in Jesus, gathering the nations and renewing creation. So what does this mean? Pastor, you've had your 20 minutes. Tell me, land this plane and tell me what it means. What this means is that your acts of faith in Jesus, your worship, your shining camels, your service of your neighbor, it actually matters. Sometimes we proclaim the gospel in a way that empties the Christian life of meaning. We say, Jesus did everything, we don't do anything. And that's a false universal. 
That's a false universal. And here's what I mean by false universal. Why did the Twin Towers fall on 9-11? Because of gravity. Well, okay, that's true. But it's a false universal. There's a whole bunch of other reasons that are important. Jesus doesn't simply save you by himself. He saved you through other people, through parents, through pastors, through apostles and prophets, through his bride, the church. Because Jesus loves his bride, and he doesn't simply want her doing nothing, sitting on the sideline. He loves her into service. He loves her into loving others. So your acts of faith in Christ, they make a difference. They matter. They proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. They are not good things you add to what Jesus has done. They are good things Jesus has prepared for you to do. You participate in the new creation now. Now. And this is also true of your suffering. You suffer together with Christ because the suffering of Jesus' church, the suffering of his people Israel, participates not only in his joy but in Jesus' own suffering. And God uses all of it to shine his light through you and out into the world. This does not mean you're always going to see it. This does not mean you can measure it or quantify it. The darkness is still out there and is still in here, tainting everything we do. But the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome you. He shines on you in love. He shines now through you in love. So rise and shine, Israel, for the glory of God is now upon you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you were born for us that you might die for us. You died for us that you might gather us, including us in the people of your promise, heirs of Abraham, descendants of Jacob, who by faith in you are made part of Jerusalem. By your spirit, pour your love into us, that it might be reflected into the world around us, that it might renew us and through us the creation that you've given us to use for your glory and honor. Help us to see you, to reflect you, even in the midst of this darkness, even as we live in the joyful news that you have forgiven us and our complicity with the darkness. Help us to know, know that that forgiveness is to be reflected to those who have wronged us, to those who have hurt us, for your blessing is always for our enemies. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.